Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Sunday, June twenty-first episode of Poets and Muses, where we chat with poets about their inspirations. I'm your host, Imogen Arate. You can find us at poetsandmuses.com as well as via Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter either at poetsandmuses.com or at the upper right-hand side of the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. Now, aside from poetsandmuses.com and our SoundCloud page, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcast via TuneIn, Stitcher, as well as Apple Podcasts. With us today is Jennifer Conlon, with whom I will be discussing her poem "Say Blue Is a Language" and my poem "Hopeless Romantic." Before we do that, however, I'm going to go over some virtual poetry events taking place during the week of June 22nd. On Monday, June 22nd, from 8:30 to midnight Paris time, Spoken Word Paris will be hosting its Spoken Word Online with the theme of Blood, featuring Dominique Christina. You can find out more information about that at facebook.com/events/4/11933703376 6737327. Again, that's 11933703376673327. From 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Nuijian TV will be hosting the seventh episode of its 20-episode series, the Nuijian One Carriers Challenge, in which anyone can participate, but only Indigenous youths between seven and 12 are eligible for the prizes, which includes a grand prize of a MacBook Pro. You can find out more information about that at facebook.com/events/644. Five four seven three zero nine four five eight six eight zero. Again, that's Facebook dot com forward slash events forward slash six four four five four seven three zero nine four five eight six eight zero. From eight p.m. Central Time, Frizzy Productions will be hosting his Poets Playground Open Mic. On Instagram Live at poets underscore playground underscore. Again, that's at poets underscore playground underscore. On Tuesday, June twenty third, from three to five p.m. Eastern Time, Urban Word NYC will be hosting its first draft open mic virtual writing workshop and open mic series facilitated by Royal Marsh. This will be for those between the ages of 13 and 23. You can find out more information and register at urbanwordnyc.org/first-draft. Again, that's urbanwordnyc.org/first-draft. From 5 to 5:30 p.m. Pacific time, Arizona Masters of Poetry will be hosting its Speak Poet on Instagram Live at Arizona Masters of Poetry. From 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern time, the Tiny Cupper will be hosting its Virtual Poetry Night via Zoom. You can find out more information about that at thetinycupper.com/events. Again, that's thetinycupper.com/events. From 7:30 to 10:30 p.m. Eastern Time, Josh Smalls, Mr. Wiz, 
and Beach City Poetress will be hosting their poetry threesome via Instagram Live. The first hour at Coach Jaw Smalls, the second hour at Mr. Wiz, the third hour at Beach City Poetress. Again, that's the first hour at Coach Jaw Smalls. J-A-H-S-M-A-L-L-S, second hour at Mr. Wiz, M-R-W-I-T-Z, third hour at Beach City Poetress. On Wednesday, June 24th, from 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time, Nuijanan TV will be hosting its Nuijanan Scott Talent Showcases, featuring indigenous youths between 13 and 25 years old via Instagram Live. You can RSVP to participate at Nuijinan TV. That's N-W-E-J-I-N-A-N-T-V. Again, that's N-W-E-J-I-N-A-N-T-V. From 8 p.m. Eastern Time, a poet named Superman will be hosting his release therapy open mic via Instagram Live at a poet named Superman. Again, that's a poet named Superman. On Thursday, June 25th, from 4 to 5.30 p.m. Mountain Time, Sabe Hosho, the DNA Writers Collective, will be hosting one of its four benefit readings for the Navajo and Hopi Families Relief Fund and the White Mountain Apache COVID-19 Relief Fund. You can find out more information about that at sabihosho.org forward slash fundraiser. Again, that's sabihosho.org forward slash fundraiser. That's S-A-A-D-B-E-E-H-O-Z-H-O dot org forward slash fundraiser. From 7 to 8.30 p.m. Mountain Time, Sabe Hosho, the Dine Writers Collective, will be hosting the second of its four benefit readings for the Navajo and Hopi Families Relief Fund and the White Mountain Apache COVID-19 Relief Fund. Again, you can find out information about that and register at sabehosho.org forward slash fundraiser. Again, that's sabehosho.org forward slash fundraiser. That's S-A-A-D-B-E-E-H-O-Z-H-O dot org forward slash fundraiser. From 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern Time, Spit That DC will be hosting its weekly open mic at Instagram Live from Spit That DC. That's S-P-I-T-D-A-T-D-C. Again, that's S-P-I-T-D-A-T-D-C. From 7 to 8 p.m. Pacific Time, Phonetic Spit will be hosting its weekly open mic via Instagram Live at Phonetic Spit. That's P-H-O-N-E-T-I-C-S-P-I-T. Again, that's P-H-O-N-E-T-I-C-S-P-I-T. On Friday, June 26th, from 4 to 5.30 p.m. Mountain Time, Sabe Hosho, the Dine Writers Collective, will be hosting the third of its four benefit readings for the Navajo and Hopi Families Relief Fund and the White Mountain Apache COVID-19 Relief Fund. Again, you can find out information and register at sabihosho.org forward slash fundraiser. And again, that's spelled S-A-A-D-B-E-E-H-O-Z-H-O dot org forward slash fundraiser.
from 7.30 Eastern Time. Marquis 10,000 Burton will be hosting his live poetry freestyling via Instagram Live at 10,000 Poetry. Again, that's 10,000 Poetry. 10,000 is spelled out. From 7 to 8.30 p.m. Mountain Time, Sabe Hosho, the Dine Writers Collective, will be hosting the fourth of its four benefit readings for the Navajo and Hopi Families Relief Fund and the White Mountain Apache COVID-19 Relief Fund. As before, you can find out information about those events and register at sabehosho.org forward slash fundraiser. That's S-A-A-D-B-E-E-H-O-Z-H-O dot org. Again, that's S-A-A-D-B-E-E-H-O-Z-H-O dot org forward slash fundraiser. On Saturday, June 27th from 5 to 5.30 p.m. Pacific Time, Arizona Masters of Poetry will be hosting its Speak Poet Saturday via Instagram Live, again at Arizona Masters of Poetry. On Sunday, June 28th from 2 p.m. Eastern Time, Your Ink Poetry will be hosting its Video Slam. You can find out more information and participate by going to pureinkpoetry.com. Again, that's pureinkpoetry.com. From 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time, WB Consultancy will be hosting its virtual reading of original written works via Zoom. You can find out more information at facebook.com forward slash events forward slash 268 Again, that's facebook.com forward slash events forward slash 268-586-701-116-958. And now let us welcome our poet guest of the week, Jennifer Collin. Thank you very much for coming on to Poets and Muses, Jennifer. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, me too. You brought with you the poem say blue. Uh-huh. Before we get into that, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So I'm 34 years old. I moved here from North Carolina. Uh, mm. It's where I spent all my life. <laughs> I moved here in 2014 mm. uh, because ASU's MFA program brought me out here. Okay. Um, so I graduated from there with my concentration in poetry in 2017. Cool. Um, and just kind of stuck around. Uh, during my MFA there, I was a TA, and I got mm. the opportunity to teach freshman composition. Mm. So I fell in love with that and mm. uh, kept doing it. So now I'm an instructor at ASU's writing programs, and I teach freshman composition there. And oh, okay. absolutely love it. It's exhausting, but I love it. <laughs> it's the best kind of exhausting. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. wonderful. Yeah, yeah, ASU has a lot of good programs. Yeah. Randomly run into ASU people like you. Yeah. Like yeah. at open mics all the time. Yes, we're everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so do you feel the difference between the heat in North Carolina and here? Okay. Yes, yeah. And every once in a while when I get a student who's also from the South, like mm. they understand this. Yeah, humid heat and dry heat are very different. It's, I, don't, I think it's about acclimating or about like what you're used to Mm -hmm. because I understand like the heat back home is a lot more oppressive in the sense that like you can feel 
the water in the air. Like mm-hmm. the air feels more like a physical part of your day. Like okay. it feels like something you actually have to part and move through oh, <laughs> sometimes. So it's it heavier. Feels thick and okay. yeah, heavy. And like your breathing feels different. Here it it gets so hot that I feel more of like a burning sensation. I'm pale as shit, so it's like, you know, I need like SPF 100 to like survive this bitch. But like, yeah, it's, they're both awful heats, I think. I've kind of gotten a little bit more used to the heat here. Mm -hmm. I had a friend from home visit me and they stayed in my apartment and they were like, um, it's really hot. Can you like turn it down a bit? I'm like, oh, I guess I've acclimated. Yeah. I, I was telling somebody else in a, another episode previously that I don't really remember weather, but because uh-huh. I was in Uganda in the past uh-huh. year during the summer, I realized that 80 degrees here, I could run around and it's comfortable. It's actually amazingly wonderful. Yeah. But 80 degrees in that weather, that wet heat, Yeah. I was just like drenched yeah. all the time. So Yeah, it's yeah. true. I, I have like a different like max point for it like in North Carolina yeah I can stand up until about 80 85 and then it's like okay now I can't breathe (laughs) here I can last until like maybe 100 and then 100 is the tipping point once it hits over 100 and everything in the garden dies I'm just like I also die a little (laughs) like I have to stay inside yeah yeah I think my tipping point is like 110 yeah oh yeah yeah well I had a, a nice place where it was 10 degrees lower yeah. all the time. So, nice. Or actually during the summer, it might have been 20 degrees. So when I get into the place, I'm like, oh, it's cool. And then after a while, I'm like, hey, actually, it's hot. <laughs> yeah. You sit there for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> um, but <laughs> back to poetry. Yeah. Um, how did you come to write poetry? I think for me, it's always been a way of processing. I've been writing since I was like at least 12. And I had my... Typical obsessions with Poe and Plath, mm-hmm. and I have journals f- from when I was like fourteen mm-hmm. and up. So mm-hmm. like I don't have any super early writings from, but from at least age fourteen and up. But my earliest poems were like mostly inspired by things I saw on the news or on like crime shows that my mom was watching or something. Oh, wow. And so like I think the first poem I ever remember writing or talking about writing was inspired by this woman who drowned her kids in the tub. It was oh. awful. I don't know. Yeah. I remember feeling very deeply for those children. Like, yeah. Shit. And then, so I wrote this thing. I don't remember much of what it was about. or wow. But I remember talking about it and having to explain it to someone. I think probably one of my parents. Um, mm. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think I was just mostly, it was my way of, like, processing the world around me. Right, um, right. That's pretty amazing because most people, when they first come into poetry, they always write personal things. Right? Mm, yeah, I definitely went through that a lot as a teenager. Mm-hmm. It was centered on myself and my love obsessions. <laughs> yeah. And the yeah. nature phase where I wrote everything about like my natural surroundings. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, this feels like a combination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is all the things come together. Yeah. Very nice, and and judging from that, I mean, I can imagine if you wrote a poem about those children, especially as a child, you know, it must have had a lot of layers as well. Yeah, yeah. I don't really know what brought me to those those things, but I would go from being shocked at something that I saw in the world or on TV, and then would go right to the page with it. Mm. I think a lot of people want to talk about 
like when they're trying to deal with like grief or violence or something like that, mm. like we talk about it as a way of moving right. through it. I think I just like recognized that the page was just the first person that I could talk to wow. <laughs> and like really felt comfortable with that. Yeah. So I had less verbal conversations and a lot more um, okay. writing on the Wait, you mentioned a little bit that you don't, you're you're less extroverted. Yeah, I, it's an interesting balance. Like I find spaces that I can be extroverted, like when I mm-hmm. teach. Mm-hmm. But that's because I'm very much in control of the situation. No one's gonna walk in and right. say, "Stop teaching now," right. or "You're doing it wrong." Yeah. Or <laughs> one time, someone stepped in to tell me to turn down my music, but or my um. My, you know the sound for the video I was playing, but oh, but okay. other than that, like no one ever <laughs> tells you what to teach or how to teach it. And right, right. So I think I feel very comfortable in that right, space. Right. But I think in other situations, yeah, I usually just like to assess. I get very introverted and like to like assess things for a mm-hmm, while, mm-hmm. and then once I like, get a sense of everybody, then I'm like the center of the room. <laughs> right. It's right, a weird yeah. like flex back and forth that I do. No, it's. I think we all interact yeah. with our environment in different ways. Yeah, yeah. I just, yeah, I warm up. <laughs> That's yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's probably the better way to go about it. I yeah, think. yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, if you don't mind reading your poem, I will sure. talk about it. Absolutely. Say blue is a language. Say blue was a story. Say blue was a girl. Say Blue was a story about a girl who liked a girl and the girl liked her back and they didn't know what to call that. Say Blue. Say Blue is a language for finding ourselves. When we say finding ourselves, we say white. We say eat, privilege, pray, privilege, love, privilege. When we say language, we should mean blue. Who even gets to travel for this finding? Say blue for the cost of language, the cost of movement. Say blue for exanguination. When we want a tongue to touch our tongue, but the person is too far on the other side of the room or the planet, say blue. Say blue if it might save your life or someone else's. I want this to mean love. I want it to mean we stay topside forever. Say blue for growing things despite nature not often taking the form of blue. Blame our cones. If I were another creature taking in light some other way, maybe here I'd see blue. Say blue if you want to kiss her, but there are less than one people you could come out to. Say blue for the length of the forest, for small town, for woods to hide in. Say blue when you're erased. Say blue when you erase yourself. Say a bluebird leaves the woods and finds the desert is half blue too. The sky taking up all direction. No clouds blocking up all the possible language. Only blue mountains kissing with their marred tongues. Thank you. I love this poem. <laughs> Thank you. Beautiful. So when did you write it? I actually wrote it in December, so I wrote it only like two weeks before you saw me read it at wow. the New Year's Day wow. Equality Arizona. <laughs> That's not typical for me at mm. all. I usually uh, hold on to things quite a bit longer, mm. but this was one that as soon as it left my body, I kind of felt sure about. And right. Not that it won't undergo more revisions, it right. has, right. but 
but felt sure about sharing it. Yes, your training company. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's, yeah, trying to, find, I think, find that confidence to, to share things um, or create that space mm-hmm. for sharing. What's the... Or tell us the story behind it because there's a lot of <laughs> yeah. things going on there. There, yeah. So it it's actually like the seventeenth piece I've written in what's quickly becoming a book length manuscript. Great. That started. It's a. It's definitely a conglomeration of of multiple things. I've been searching for several years for how to write about coming out in mm. small town North Carolina and. Mm. 1999, 2000, um, mm-hmm. and also grappling with the loss of someone who's really important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, she died when we were in our early 20s, mm-hmm. and those things are very related because we both wanted to get out of that space, but mm-hmm. like we're not economically privileged to leave mm-hmm. um, and felt really stuck. And so we worked through a lot of those things together mm-hmm. um, and had a lot of like really important conversations about right. that together. And we both uh, painted at the time. And that's something that I kind of stopped doing when she died mm-hmm. um, or stopped doing as much. And so one night I was listening to my Headspace meditation app. And mm-hmm. on the app, they have these sleep stories. Okay. And one of them is called Indigo Gallery. And okay. it became my favorite one. Partly because of the sound of the person's voice, it was just easy to sleep to. And then partly because it was about this art gallery and every painting in it was blue. And that fascinated me. And something, I was, you know, in that half-sleep state, like, something they said made me sit with the idea that blue as a primary color can't be made, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, I started to think about how we make blue. Blue, mm. not just as a color, but as a state of like various different things. And mm. so blue kind of became my space for everything I needed to put in there that I mm. couldn't contain elsewhere. Yeah. So the grief of losing her and of the grief of not being able to come out safely or have community in the space that I was in in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of held all of those things together. And... This poem, when I sat down to read it, felt very much like me almost trying to grasp at the whole book at once, Mm. like almost trying to like find its abstract or find the language for it. Mm. And I've explored blue in so many different ways that one morning I was just like, well, what if blue's a language? And I was like, oh, shit. (laughs) That thought kind of jarred me. And I was like, well... You know, that's too much. I was like, say it's just a story. And then I'm like, say it's a story about me and her, right? These mm-hmm. two girls. But then, you know, I arrived at this idea of, about how I'm using blue as a language, as a way of searching for language or searching for the words to come out, the words to grieve, the words to accept yourself, to find right. community, right. Uh, all those things. Yeah. So. It's, wow. Yeah, <laughs> so it's a lot. It's definitely part of a much, much larger project that's coming together hopefully this year. <laughs> cool. Hey, it's really that's my poem. It's it's a beautiful poem. Sorry, I got the name wrong when I was introducing it. It's just for some reason I just kept thinking, "Say blue" is the name. Yeah. <laughs> and then, when I read it, uh, it reminded me 
of um, I don't know if you've seen the movie Blues, the Warmers. <laughs> I actually haven't, but several people recently have told me that I should when they learned that I started this project, and mm-hmm. so it's like it's the next thing on my Netflix list. So <laughs> I'm almost there. I'm I, gonna watch it. <laughs> I literally watched it to prepare for the art interview <laughs> because. Nice. I wasn't sure if it had something to do with it gotcha. because it was so there were a lot of similar things、yeah. about it. Oh, now I、yeah. have to watch it. It's <laughs> amazing. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah, and I like how when you were saying when we say finding ourselves, we say white, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then talk about privilege. Yeah, and yeah, and then I'm guessing you're referencing the book or the movie *You Pray Love*. Yes, <laughs> yes, and as a like larger symbol, right?、Mm-hmm. For for privilege, right? Like when I think about coming out, I think about the privileges I did have. Being bi, I could just like pretend I wasn't、mm-hmm. and just be and just pass as straight. Often,、mm-hmm. if I was dating a guy, but I don't know. I think that part of it is also the privilege of. Being white and, and whiteness itself is is a space of safety, right?、Mm. Re- uh, regardless of other ways that you identify, sometimes, and so I held safe in in that way. But、um, in terms, like I said, of like economic privilege, I couldn't move away.、Right. The idea of like finding moving away and finding myself, like I didn't even know what that meant. <laughs> I didn't leave the country until I was. Twenty-eight years old, maybe、mm-hmm. or twenty-nine, for the first time, and then I didn't leave like my immediate surroundings, like my like the small area that I grew up in, or like the few hours around it, like till it was probably late teens, early twenties.、Mm-hmm. So it was a very like isolated sort of feeling. And、mm-hmm. when I he- heard stories from some of the people I've met in community here, or elsewhere. I hear about them coming out at younger ages and being accepted, or、mm-hmm. not being able to come out. Like one of my, someone that I grew up with,、um, one of my friends, he was quiet and didn't come out until、uh, he turned eighteen and he could move away. So he like moved from North Carolina to Florida and found、mm-hmm. his community and came out then.、Mm-hmm. And so like I, I, when I was writing this poem, I was thinking a lot about the privilege of coming out, of、mm-hmm. being able to just. Say that uh, safely, um,、mm-hmm. or to be able to move to a space where you can say that safely.、Yeah. Also, thought a lot about religion. A lot of the poems in this book bring religion in because、mm-hmm. the space I grew up in was very Southern Baptist, and even if you weren't church going, it was just assumed that everyone still held those values,、mm-hmm. right? The the religious values were the cultural values,、mm-hmm. right?、Mm-hmm. So, like being gay was definitely like. No, not okay. Like,、mm-hmm. and I saw what happened to people who were out. I saw acts of violence. I saw people like myself and others erase themselves and just not say anything、mm-hmm. for fear of that violence, or as I've written in some other poems, for fear of <laughs> requested performances of your sexuality. Right, like asking、mm-hmm. girls to kiss, things、yeah. like that. But yeah, so like. You might find yeah, that in that movie. Yeah, which is good. I wrote a poem about that recently. <laughs> yeah, on being asked to perform. But yeah, I think a lot about the privileges that come with that. I've always wondered what it would be like to come out and have the parent or person that means something to you 
be like, that's cool. <laughs> or, you know what I mean? Or not flinch. Or yeah. um, I actually came out to someone in the last year, and it was a person that was new to me, not introduced to me by a mutual friend or anything. Mm-hmm. I knew nothing about this person at all. And when I came out to them, they didn't flinch, like, at all. Like, <clears throat> their body didn't move, their mm-hmm. face. Like, it was the first time I'd ever told someone, and they just didn't have a reaction. Mm-hmm. And it was the most comforting thing I've ever experienced <laughs> in my whole life. And it was like, I just want more of that. And yeah. so I think a lot of this poem, too, is just kind of mourning that I didn't get that. I'm still a bit bitter. But like, <laughs> yeah. and, and I'm working through that. But, like, <laughs> yeah, this bitch is just still a little bit better that she didn't get her, like, happy come out party or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. I know a lot of people don't get that. And that's what I want to sit with this poem. It's not just me, but so many people don't have the privilege to even say who they are. Yeah. Yeah. And that's terrifying. It is. And I think that's true for even straight cisgender people. Yeah. Because there, there are just so many parts of oneself that your loved ones might not accept for one reason or another. Yeah. Um, and then add a, a layer of society not accepting certain things, Definitely. especially like late 90s, early yeah. 2000. It was still, it was a little, a little bit past the height of AIDS, right? Mm-hmm. A little bit past that, but still. I think that was when people finally realized AIDS is not just a gay disease. Yeah. But still had so much stigma. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, of course, as you said, the performative or your sexuality as a woman Mm -hmm. being seen as a kink. Yeah, yeah. um, Or some uh, fetish, actually, for straight men. Yeah, yeah. And that's interesting because that's the only space that I ever felt like my sexuality was, I want to say the word accepted, but I know that's not it, right? Right. But like entertained or allowed in a way that definitely didn't feel safe, but was, right? No, because Um, they didn't want you to enjoy yourself or your sexuality. It was more, they want to join in. They think they're going to be the center of that attention. And the idea is that it's for them. Yeah, yeah. And the fact that I might care for or love the other person is completely removed from that scene. Yeah, yeah. It's just for their entertainment and yeah. for their pleasure. And yeah. But it's interesting how you get to the space where you will do that because that's the one place where you can do it right. that's in public. Right. And so and that's a poem that I'm still working on is that mm-hmm. really complex space of like entertaining those performances in mm-hmm. my teens and early 20s because... I didn't know better. I didn't hadn't developed my thoughts about that yet, and mm-hmm. and was like, well, this is one space where I can be myself. That's right. what it felt like. And then over time, realized that's not my myself. My right. myself is what I was doing at home, right? right? And myself could never be really performed for those men, right? Right, unless that was one of your things. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, unless that was the choice I was making. Yeah, for me, yeah, myself, it's not. Yeah. Um, and especially for fucking straight men. Yeah. <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> yeah. And when you're coming out of a situation where you're not being accepted then mm. in comparison, then that was a better situation. Yeah. At the same time, when you have better choices and mm-hmm. when you see that you have 
much more to choose from yeah. than you realize actually that's kind of crap. Yeah. I think it was part of my growing and part of my trying to like grapple with and like also accept myself mm-hmm. because I realized that a like with that performance came a lot of like internalized homophobia, right? And mm-hmm. like kind of judging myself about what I was doing mm-hmm. based on kind of the the gaze of others. Mm-hmm. Or my interest in that performance even. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's difficult. Like I said, a whole book. <laughs> yeah, no. It's, uh, <laughs> it's very it's understandable because even now it's not completely accepted, right? And there right. is that performative aspect, right. as I said, both in that particular movie in another movie that was about two women in the Hasidic community mm-hmm. who realized that they yeah. were attracted to each other and even that movie had a performative aspect mm-hmm. to it. And mm-hmm. it's just like, you know, like ah, ah. Yeah. Yeah. you know, this is not a person piece kind of a right. story for the rest of the world to understand. Oh, what's lesbian sex like? No, it's not a manual. So <laughs> it doesn't, yeah. you know, it doesn't make any sense for it to be in there. And both of the movies, they were both directed by male directors. Straight oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, so we see where that sort yeah. of case is, that narrative case is coming from. Yeah. Having said that, however, I, I still think both movies are incredibly important in yeah. breaking down barriers and and, yeah. and letting people sort of peek into that restriction, mm-hmm. both self-imposed as well as others-imposed right. restriction. And besides just the use of Blue as a central character, I, I enjoy the your choice of words the last stanza when you say say blue if you want to kiss her but there are less than one people you mm-hmm. could come out to mm-hmm. and i was wondering why you chose people rather than person well it came out that way very quickly when i wrote it and when i sat with it and thought about what i really meant by it is that i wanted there to be more than one person mm-hmm. there should be multiple people right. that i could come out to um, but there weren't so i wanted the possibility of those people to exist on the page but the fact of there were none right there were less than one right. <laughs> there were there was no one that i could really come out to right and when i when i read that and when i actually heard you read it and reading it at the same time i would thinking people it seems like you know like how a lot of people now say oh I want to find my tribe and mm. had that feel to it oh yeah you know like oh like my people yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think about it in that way yeah I was just thinking about the implication like in that in my imagination of coming out that there would be a whole room of people that mm-hmm. would be really excited to hear that news right but right. but that there weren't less than one (laughs) well not anymore so and and that's where the end of the poem kind of heads is this space of moving here right woods to the desert and finding a lot of the same like complications but at the same time finding community and the space of possibility there or at least space to kind of find this language for myself yeah yeah. Um, but yeah, still definitely plenty of homophobia yeah. in Phoenix. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's not like a gay heaven or anything. No, no. Um, I think people see more of it because what is it per capita the most percentage wise? Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Kevin Oops. was talking about that. I think huh. even on that day he mentioned that. In huh. the beginning when he was introducing 
Oh, now I remember what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was talking. Oh, no. What did he say? I think it was oh. percentage per capita. Okay, yeah. I remember he gave some factoids like that, but I'm not yeah. remembering it exactly. Yeah. But, and I remember being surprised by it, like, huh. Oh. <laughs> I, I, like, I noticed that. Yeah. I encounter a lot of non-binary people, people who self-identify as in the queer community. And I was kind of surprised. Although I guess I shouldn't be just just based on the the size of the population because mm-hmm. it's like the fifth largest city in yeah. America, yeah. which was a surprise by itself. Yeah. I'm not from here either. So yeah, it was for me too. I was like, oops. I mean, I came from a really small town, so I was like, <laughs> I didn't realize what I was getting into. But gladly, it was really spread out. So, yeah, you know, yeah. it wasn't a huge shock to me. It was yeah. just. That's why I got lost on the way over here. I'm still discovering. I've been here for like like almost six years, and I'm still discovering. It's, it's this one this is place. hard. Yeah, honestly, I don't I... do front one way roads. That confuses me. <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand why they exist. I'm just like, what is happening? <sighs> and the turn is very it's it's yeah. very quick, yeah. and it's not near light. I'm just glad there's parking. Yeah, the, the parking like, is one wonderful, but you have amazing. to like kind of go around to find the entrance into the yeah. entrance into the parking. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's an interesting place. <laughs> it is. So I felt, as you said, the ability to leave. You know, as yeah. you start saying, one of the reasons why I thought maybe it was in reference to the movie is because it was so, in some ways, so similar in that it was to there were young. One was a girl, the other one was a young woman. Really liked each other, like had this instant attraction. And and again, they were looking for, because she, the younger girl, didn't know, realized that she was gay. Yeah. So it had that aspect to the poem, the, the way that it sort of unrolled itself. Mm-hmm. And then you examined it a little bit more, and then later on you talked about the backlash against it and yeah. referenced it. And and I like how you sort of went meta a bit when you were talking about blame our combs, uh, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. I didn't get a chance to look up what the combs and rods each do, I forget. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of research about light and spectrums with mm-hmm. this book. And so it's, yeah, definitely in conversation with some other poems about right. Perception. Ooh. Well, enlighten us a little bit. I, you know, and the combs and I don't rods. speak science. <laughs> it's okay. I just love it. Yeah, um, yeah. So what ended up making its way in here was that I can't remember, but there are like two color or color uh, colors that dogs can see. They're not truly. It's not just black and white. It's not grayscale. There's like yeah. two. I can't remember what they are, but one of them is not blue. Yeah. And so I remember thinking about perception and that we're all perceiving things quite differently um and that what would it be like if I could render something blue right Mm -hmm. just through my vision um so here I'm trying to use language or blue as a language Mm -hmm. and I wondered um if I play with the light enough here maybe I could just make a blue appear like if Mm-hmm. If I could play with my perception, right? right like if right, I were some right. other creature, I could just see things differently. Right, um, right. 
and see if, the possibility, the language in the space, right? right? But but I felt stuck. Like, I couldn't see the possibility. I couldn't find the language for it. Right. Um, I'm not some other creature. I'm a human, and this is how I have to exist, and yeah. this is the language I have to work with right now before I left and found more language for that. And it's also interesting because when you talk about being another creature, <clears throat> wishing you were somebody yeah. else, that wishing okay. it was easier that you could be somebody else that you didn't have to deal with this crap right yeah because I think a lot about what it was like what it did to me to pretend that I wasn't bi like I Mm -hmm. said I had the privilege of passing if I was dating a guy and could pass it straight but when I was thinking about being a different creature I was also thinking about like what if I could just be me? <laughs> like, what if I didn't have to be... And and also, like, pushing back against this weird myth that straight people have about bisexual folks that, like, you move back and forth between two genders, right? That we're only attracted to two. Like, there's only two genders, right? Um, right? And that, for instance, if I'm dating a guy, that I'm straight, mm-hmm. right? Or that if I'm dating a woman, um, that I'm a lesbian, right? But it's like, I, I'm bi regardless. Right. Um, you're that you're just monogamous. Well, yeah. And that's another <laughs> part of the conversation. And thinking about who I'm with, the person that I'm with, this line about if I were another creature, it just allows me space to imagine myself like as a whole, mm-hmm. right? Um, rather than having to flex between this idea of what people think I am or the things that I've performed or, right. yeah. Right. And people only, again, it's a lot about perception, as you say. Yeah. People, we obviously have to draw conclusions based on, on the perception of our senses. Mm-hmm. People often rely on the surface, yeah. like what they see. Like when they mm-hmm. see you with a guy, they just assume yeah. that you're straight, mm-hmm. right? Or yeah. when you're with a woman, that yeah. you're gay. Yeah. And that's it. And yeah. they can't see past that unless mm-hmm. you become polyamorous. Yeah. And then you're like, eh, here's, either, you know, yeah. a few of my choices that I can have yeah. as me. Persons, so it it goes back to that sort of like people judging on on surface level, right? And just using the shallowest of their perceptions, mm-hmm. rather than using their minds as well, because yeah. you know, like our senses process help us gather information, but our brain help us to process and be able to go deeper with that information. Right, right. Yeah, it made me think a lot about like performance of queerness, right? Like in visibility as well Mm -hmm. right like when we think about privilege I think about people who are more visible through maybe clothing or things like that and um, behavior like flamboyance yeah yeah. that's something that I've been thinking about about a lot recently well what does it mean for me to look by (laughs) and would somebody be able to tell maybe with these shoes now but the laces because you have two different (laughs) clearly they gave them away (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh because there's only two colors of laces that you can have <laughs> oh my god yeah yeah um, yeah so it's interesting it's it's this poem is very much about me moving from a space where I wanted to come out and then also mm-hmm. like thinking about what does it mean to come out what does visibility mean mm-hmm. um how much of it do I want <laughs> right and I'm, right. I've, I've gotten so used to hiding that part of myself that I'm mm-hmm. not used to it and so I, right now I'm just trying to practice being visible enough. Right. Like, is it like a little baby set, right? Um, but also, why do you have to be? 
Most of it is for myself. It's for taking up space in the world Mm -hmm. in a way that I feel like queer folks deserve, right? Right. Um, If straight folks can take up space in that way, then I think that queer folks yourself should be able to as well. And but it's a risk to do that, right? It's and people risk their their safety to appear as themselves in public spaces. But also, you know... It's me kind of challenging, I think, that space that I came from. My inability to do that altogether. And now I have some uh, sense of safety and comfortability. And also as a process of accepting myself, right? Right. Uh, From moving from that space uh, where I wasn't fully accepting myself because I wasn't being accepted by others, right? Right. So... But I feel like most straight cisgender people, they don't have to think about it. Right. Yeah, that's that's uh, a privilege for sure. Yeah, and, yeah. and that's the thing. It's like we're just here. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this is just us. Whereas if you're demanding that someone who's gay by trans or whatever, the membership in the marginalized group, to have to display that, mm-hmm. like wear on their sleeves, as it were. Yeah. That is a, de- a demand for performative aspect, yeah. as yeah. you said. And not all non-straight people display in a way that straight people think they display. Yeah, I had this conversation with someone recently, and we kind of jokingly said, well, like, we were talking about, like, getting comfortable with being out, Mm -hmm. and I was asking, well, like, how, or what are some ways that I can do that? And they were like, you know, like, your clothes or whatever, and I was like, but this is what I wear. And they're right. like, oh, honey, no. <laughs> and I was like, well, but now how, I don't, I don't know how to do that. Like, is there a queer store I go to and <laughs> like pick up my new clothes? Like, um, right. like, but no, for me, I realized that it very much just meant like paying attention to the conditioning I had received from the straight world about how I should appear yeah. and how I should act and speak and, so I started going back to photos of when I was, like, 14, 15-ish, mm-hmm. when I was definitely feeling more comfortable about myself. Mm. I was not out, but I was going through this, what my parents called a phase, in the way that I dressed, right? Mm. It was definitely me naming my sexuality and figuring that out but through clothes it was Mm -hmm. like a language for me to to name that in and and when I attempted to come out and was rejected or told like it was a phase or told like no that's wrong you can't do that Mm -hmm. um then I just started kind of finding this other way of dressing that was I think just a way to fit in with all of my straight friends Mm -hmm. or a way to make my parents think that the phase had ended and it's okay, you don't have to worry about me anymore. Like, stop paying attention to that part of me. Now I've come to this space where it's like, oh, well, like, looking back at those pictures, that was really my style. Those are the things I liked. And I stopped doing them because I didn't want people to be able to read me as queer and because I wanted my parents to stop fucking with me. Um, Because they kept saying, oh, you grow out of it. Yeah. So now I feel like clothing is a space. It's it's more intuitive for me. It's not like I feel like, yeah, I've got to find the queer store to go to and like get the prescribed outfit for myself right. or do something particular again, with my hair or anything else. Right. Yeah. But it's more about 
loving myself and Mm -hmm. like that intuitive moment like I said when I was in famous footwear I walked around the corner I saw those glittering beautiful vans and I was like (laughs) I died (laughs) that and so like that was a moment where I was like I like those Mm -hmm. I'm recognizing that as a part of me and wow how cool like it it felt comfortable to finally be able to name that again where I feel like I've been kind of dressing in someone else's uniform for a really long time. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think... But, yeah, we, queer folks look like all sorts of things. We yeah. wear all sorts of clothes. We have all sorts of hairs. Right, right. And non-hairs and, yeah. Which makes sense <laughs> because you're just, at the end of the day, you're just another person who yeah. has a different preference, sexual preference. Yeah. But a person with really cool bands. <laughs> yes. They're, they're really cool. I think maybe I should show these shoes <laughs> like, uh, you, they, you can just make the them shoes. my profile picture they don't need my face just you're like if you see those shoes that's her right that's yeah. her it's that or my hair that usually is <laughs> the other one that'll that'll get me <laughs> yeah but when you kept saying you were talking about reference to the uh, quote-unquote queer store <clears throat> and again that that's very limiting right yeah um, very. it's as you said at the end it's People come in all sort of mm-hmm. different like, ways of expressing themselves, yeah. whether they're straight or biased. Exactly. You know, whichever they put in front of their sexual orientation, it doesn't link it to the other part yeah. of them. You know, they're yeah. separate characteristics. Yeah, you know, absolutely. It's, it's, I, I remember um, I met a, a gay friend way back when, and when I first met him, I thought he was coming on to me, and I was not interested mm-hmm. in his physical appearance and I was just like eh. <laughs> and then I realized he was gay and uh, funny enough when I invited a bunch of friends to have uh, brunch together uh, I was just having a regular conversation with him as I would anybody actually and then one of my girlfriends said to me she was like oh stop coming on to him he's gay <laughs> <laughs> but he's his that you know people who think they can just recognize gayness by looking mm-hmm. at somebody's behavior he's that right yeah non-stereotypical let's right say. yeah i'd like to trouble the gaydar i don't <laughs> think that exists <laughs> um yeah it's a really interesting idea though yeah i i won't i always wonder about that i think it has a lot to do with fear like i think some straight people would just like really like to know that there's a gay person near them right like it, <laughs> Well, it just, comes out of fear. Think, but I think yeah. both, both gay, some segments of both gay and straight population believe that it oh, exists. Oh, sure. Yeah, sure. So, I've definitely met other LGBTQ folks who claim to be able to recognize the other folks. And that's, um, the, I think there's, I, I don't know. I don't know. That's something I'm sitting with and still thinking a lot about. Yeah. Um, like someone recently told me these shoes could be a giveaway. And I'm like, I don't know. Maybe. They're really cool shoes. They are. I think they just make me cool. Not yeah. Bi, but yeah. Yeah. Like, they're just like, they're magical. They're awesome. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad we're not the same size. Cause, you know, I might you can just drop just... you off your shoes after this. I'll be like, <laughs> your episode only comes out if I get those shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Leverage. <laughs> Oh, I, I appreciate that. They really are gorgeous. I Thank love them. Thank you. But yes, 
Queer folks, we're hiding everywhere. We're not all wearing glitter shoes. No. <laughs> <laughs> when you were talking about as a teenager, you, you preferred to dress a certain way. And also, I wonder about that if even if you were not queer. Yeah. Maybe you just preferred to dress a certain way, you know? like, and I think this definitely had to do with my queerness, though, because I was, I was thinking a lot about gender expression. Like, I would go from wearing my brother's shorts, mm-hmm. which came below my knee, and tube socks that came up to my knee, and skate <laughs> shoes, and band t-shirts. Oh, cool. And then the next day, I would be wearing combat boots, and fishnets, and a skirt, and mm-hmm. a little tank top, like lacy yeah, tank yeah. top thing. And so I was, I think, very much using clothing as a space to think about my sexuality. It shows a range, um, though. A lot of, yeah. It shows a yeah. lot of range. And myself, so. Yeah. Yeah. And I, again, neither of those really tell the whole story of a person. No, right no, yeah. And yeah. it might just be that that particular town did not like yeah. people wearing anything that's outside of what they think consider is the norm. Yeah, I think that that was like an acceptable boundary for me to push. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember really pissing my mom off because I wore this leather choker for oh. my senior photo. Um, <laughs> and so there's the black thing that's draped across your chest in that senior oh, photo, okay. right? And then this black choker right above it. Right. And then in the other photo, when I'm just wearing uh, casual clothes, I'm wearing a system of a down t-shirt and these really big like kickwear jeans. And I have all these bracelets on and there's like black <laughs> streaks in my hair. And... Um, so I was looking just, really pissed off. <laughs> so you could have just been goth. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe goth is just a space for sad gays who can't be themselves. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it was the it was the boundary. I think I was allowed to push and. Mm-hmm. And also the other folks that were dressing that way were also like a lot of them were silently queer or. Mm-hmm at least cool with those of us who were silently queer yeah. and so um i think it was a way of just being like yeah they're a little weird right they dress yeah. weird or whatever and so i could embody that weirdness without having to say anything about my sexuality right right and just let it be yeah there's the goth kid or yeah. I actually got the senior superlative for most unique. It wasn't even a superlative. They wrote it in. <laughs> right. Uh, me and my friend my, that I mentioned that had to move away to come out. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's interesting that both of us are, are queer. And, mm-hmm. you know, so most unique in that space really just meant yeah. gay. <laughs> like, it was like they knew, but didn't, they knew that there was something up with us. <laughs> right, right, right. Do you mind if I ask you how old you were when you came out? Uh, the first time I tried to come out, I was 14. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you knew pretty much when you hit people. Oh, yeah, definitely. I knew very early. I knew when I was, like, 9 or 10, probably. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. I mean, but at the time, I, because of what was around me, because of my mm-hmm. environment, things I was hearing, I was definitely thinking that there was something wrong with me when I was oh, 9 or 10, so right? And that, like, I was going to go to hell and that I had to fix mm-hmm. this at some point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hell sounds like a great place. Yeah, that's where the party is, though. Yeah. But I'm just, I'm, it makes me think about, a lot, especially with this poem, about folks who experienced conversion therapy. Mm-hmm. And that's not something that was ever on the table for me, thank God. But mm-hmm. because, right, they just were like, oh, it's a face, you'll get over it. Not like, let's cure this. Um, yeah. But still, a lot of that 
external pressure that you right. need to fix this about yourself. That's, yeah. you know, yeah. that's not okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I knew really early on. But I think it was actually I had uh, gone to see a crisis counselor because I would reached my, my end there. And the thing they told me when I left that day was, like, you should try to come out to your parents. Mm. So in the car on the way home, I tried to tell my mom. And she, like, flipped her shit. She was like... No, that's not a thing. No, <laughs> no, no, no. Um, and then just proceeded to like never talk about it again. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Do they accept it now? Or? Mm, I don't really speak to her mm-hmm. now um, a whole lot. And then like my dad is, he's a pretty accepting guy. He doesn't talk about it a whole right. lot. It's not something I feel like I can really like bring up uh, just willy-nilly right. <laughs> you know, just toss it in there but I see subtle ways that he accepts me for who I am and that's good yeah yeah mm-hmm. for sure mm-hmm. but I feel like coming here moving to Arizona it's like I think like when you come out it's like you come out multiple times there's not like one time right, right? right. like every time you meet new people every time you move the context is so different too like 1999 coming out and 2000. 20 coming out is like a totally right, different right, thing right. for me. It's amazing. 20 years, how much of a difference yeah, that shit. makes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Prince isn't even here anymore. It sucks. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it sucks. What is this yeah. world without Prince? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. There'll be, be others. There'll be others. Yeah, I know, but not Prince. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> there can't right. be other Prince. No. Um, yeah, maybe he'll get reincarnated. We need this. Yeah. <laughs> he was super religious, too, which yeah, I did not actually, know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, wasn't he? Jehovah's Witness. I don't know. Oh, I'm mistaken. I need to just Google better. I don't remember. I but just yes. happened to have seen an article on that. I was like, really? Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. he, they were analyzing his lyrics too when he passed mm-hmm. and they were saying, you know, actually there's a lot of religious mm-hmm. oh, yeah. imagery in there, yeah. which I didn't know. So I chose my poem based on the fact that it's also a poem about colors. Yes. It, it's somewhat of a rainbow of colors. And yeah, I'm excited for you to read <laughs> Thank this. you. And it's also about um, love. Yeah. Um, it's called Hopeless Romantic. I've dipped my pen in the gold of stars and brushed with the black of nightly skies, traipsed through gardens flowering feasts for the perfect palette of pastel shades, Parting ivies to distill hues of green on graves of great bars eons past. Careful not to disturb the mournful sleep. Lean sullen against the brown of trunks, humming orange under the autumnal sun. Soaked up the aqua of seven marines, blending with the boiling red of my heart and the gray in this pensive brain to bring relief in dimensions add just so perchance to paint your face. Wonderful. Thank you. When I read it the first time, I was like, oh, I I think I know why she picked this poem in conversation with mine. And (laughs) it was really interesting to read and think about with Say Blue because I saw it as this, a similar space that mine was trying to explore, like using paint to like search right mm-hmm. to like find this thing to try to mm-hmm. name something mm-hmm. but naming it through like painting it right, right. so instead of with language but with paint mm-hmm. and I could feel like this longing and tried to like form this landscape mm-hmm. or um, this person's face yeah. and 
it was like you said uh, before you started reading it. Um, you talked about like all the colors, right? And right. I, would, I read it very much as you trying to like search for the right color. Like we search for the right word. Mm-hmm. You need to like name something. Um, like you were gonna go through the whole palette to figure out how to find that base, <laughs> right? How to get yeah. to it. Yeah. Um, it's really beautiful. Oh, thank you. I also uh, use a lot of different colors because I feel like they each represent some. You know, if you were to color code some aspect of our lives, mm. right? And not necessarily that I actually have a color code for each yeah. aspect of That's life. That's interesting, though. But to, you know, that line that we contain multitudes mm-hmm. and it yeah. takes multiple colors to really describe, yeah. um, not colors, but multiple characterizations to yeah. describe a person yeah. and then using this color coding aspect of it. But yeah, I like what you just said about how. It's funny because we're we're instead of being just like straightforward, we're being very complex by yeah. using words to paint, paint to paint. Yeah, <laughs> we're painted pictures. Yeah, it's been a fascinating process for me to think about, and um, I've actually tried to work on some painting as well mm. to like like paint some of the images that I'm writing about and right, then right. trying to write about the ones I painted and so oh, yes wow. cool, cool, cool. <laughs> it's really interesting yeah I think something else that I recognized was like the self getting lost mm. right mm. um because I like there's that I at the beginning and then it doesn't happen again until we get your face there's like this connection with this other person mm-hmm. made me think about um been reading Richard Sykin's War of the Foxes recently, and mm-hmm. there are several poems that deal with the way light moves mm-hmm. um, in terms of like time. And mm-hmm. I was thinking about that with the um, ar- the humming orange under the autumnal sun, right? Mm-hmm. And that they were brown trucks, trunks, but humming orange, and like it made me think a lot about like how we mark time in our poems, mm-hmm. right? Um, or the movement of time, right? right? right and I right. love seeing that happen through light. Uh-huh, I don't know. I'm just yeah. it's so fascinating to me. And you're um, in the perfect place for it. Right. So light is amazing yes. here. I know the first time I experienced um, 4 p.m. that sort of hour, <laughs> yeah. uh, that golden hour they yeah, call yeah. it elsewhere. Like I was so captivated. I felt like I was on a different planet. Yeah. The way light is held in the space. Like, yeah. Really, particularly in the valley too. Uh-huh. Like. It's so fascinating to me. Some days I still wake up and I feel like I'm on Mars or something. It's, right. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah. In it, North Carolina, the light is distilled very differently because there's so many trees. Right. And so it just, yeah, it's, it's a whole different thing. Yeah. And it does something different to the imagination, too. It does. There's something just so amazing about it. And I try to write a poem. I kind of, I, I, I do that. I kind of stop mid Writing about it, I was like, um, that's it. That's all I have for it. Yeah. I can't think of anything else. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's just so gorgeous. Yeah. You know, there's something about it that I feel like we as Americans are so lucky to have all these many geographies, topographies, mm. and climate zones yeah. to choose from, to be yeah. able to move around and experience all that. Yeah. Most of us don't, but... Yeah. Still, it's to have the choice at our fingertips. Yeah. Um, Settler colonialism has allowed us coast to coast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. I was thinking, yeah, North Carolina is so different from from um, 
Arizona. Yeah, cultural. Um, yeah, like everything about it, not just climatically or yeah. geographically. Yeah, yeah. But within these American borders, yeah, the topography is so vastly different. Um, and I didn't expect it all really until I moved here mm-hmm. um, when I drove across the country. <laughs> um, oh, you did it's, that? Yeah, it took that? three days, and I've actually done that twice. Oh, nice. Um, and because I'm. After my MFA, I moved back to North Carolina. Okay. Terrible idea. Came immediately back. I was like, ah, <laughs> this was not good. Wait, did um, you not move to the bigger city? Or I tried to, but didn't really have the opportunity to. Mm, so okay. um, this is just where I had more community. Um, so it's spoken. But yeah, it's Oh, so you so moved different. back, back. Yeah, back, back. Yeah. yeah. So when I came back here, I decided to stay. <laughs> right, yeah. right, yeah. So I feel like Arizona's home now or something like it. Cool. A home. Yeah. We have lots of them, I think. Yeah, we do. I mean, I feel like every place we stay at brings out a different part mm-hmm. of us. Or mm-hmm. Brings it to relief more. Yeah. Right? And people, too, for yeah. sure. Yeah. I'm realizing this is my year of, like, my word of the year, I feel like, is community. Good. <laughs> um, and finding that. Um, yeah, yeah. Which is where you found me spending yeah. my first day of the new year. Yeah. With Equality EC. And so, yeah, just, that's yeah, that's my word of the year community <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's a good Go way to start loved, the year with that event mm-hmm. yeah. exactly yeah yeah, yeah absolutely <laughs> <laughs> awesome yeah and and also like one of the reasons why i use those particular well not those particular colors but the the, the range of colors is to sort of you know when we're younger say we when we have a smaller palette of colors yeah we are not able to judge people fully as they are mm-hmm. and as we get older and we have these experiences mm-hmm. again color coded in this particular poem yeah. then we can also have a better idea of who we're dealing with absolutely and that actually reminds me of oh what was it i have there was a tarot card that I drew recently and I was thinking about, oh, which one was it? Oh, it was um, the Princess of Wands. No, sorry, the Six of Cups. And it was asking me to think about wisdom and conversation with our innocence, mm. right? Like, Oh, the two children. Yeah, yeah. And like, that... Like, if you've had, for instance, a traumatizing childhood, you mm-hmm. want to reclaim innocence. You want this thing that you didn't ever get to have or that right. was taken away. Mm-hmm. Um, but this card, like, encourages you to take the wisdom you have now and, like, mm-hmm. recreate that innocence, yeah. right? Like, yeah. And so I'm really interested in, in this idea that you're talking about, like, almost like a childlike feeling of mm-hmm. innocence, mm-hmm. sort of. Mm-hmm. But through a new lens, like, with all of your new experiences and your wisdom, yeah. the wisdom that you have now. Right, right. Because in a way, I'm kind of playing with a box of crayons, right? Or pastel, like, yeah. And and you know, getting my hands dirty yeah. and whatnot, and in in a almost like a child like play with mm-hmm. this poem, right? The poem exactly. itself is a play in some yeah. ways. Yeah. And even though it's they're color coded, they kind of mean certain experiences. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing them in a very positive light. Right. You know, it's right. not one of my a really dark poem, yeah, which I tend yeah. yeah. And I'm thinking about that a lot lately, especially with that that Six of Cups card, like mm-hmm. how we can achieve on the page this playfulness, this mm-hmm. innocence, mm-hmm. like you play with the colors, mm-hmm. um, but also 
like that it's really apparent that the speaker has this wisdom this or this experience this thing that they're sitting on mm. like in your poem you start I've dipped my pen and this is past tense and it feels like something you've done over and over and over mm-hmm. and over before mm-hmm. so there's like this wisdom in it but also still this like playfulness and discovery like you don't know what you're gonna find yet you're right. looking for it right kind of, but also very like this I don't know it's like like a childlike curiosity, but like a very adult longing, mm. kind of coupled together. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> so that. Interesting. So, in closing, I wanted to find out, as I always do, where can people find you, read, and how people can follow you. Um, I am on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, my handle is JB Conlon. Last name C O N L O N. And I have Facebook, but I don't really use it. <laughs> I don't have a Twitter. Um, I don't have any readings coming up at the moment. I may be re- reading. I will sometimes read at the Queer Poetry Salon, mm-hmm. the open mic at some point. I'll probably be reading for them as a featured reader in the future. Cool. Um, so I can let you know about that. But, yeah, please um, do. Right now, that's the only space, like, open mic-wise that I really go to is the Queer Poetry Salon. Okay. Which um, is supposed to be the last yeah. Wednesday of every month, but it seems to be moving a lot (laughs) yeah it's been growing which is amazing it started in people's homes and Mm -hmm. now Um, (laughs) what is time yeah we tried to figure out what that was in this podcast episode but as you can see (laughs) all we know is that light moves light moves light moves and then uh, it moves again yeah it keeps moving (laughs) (laughs) we can't catch it Mm -hmm. um but it makes wonderful colors yeah yeah absolutely well, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. It was a good conversation. I love talking with you. Me too. You can follow us at poetsandmuses.com as well as on Instagram and Twitter at Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter either at poetsandmuses.com or at the upper right-hand side of the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. Now, aside from the Poets and Muses website and our SoundCloud page, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcast via TuneIn, Stitcher, as well as Apple Podcasts. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you continue to keep yourselves safe and healthy, and I look forward to bringing you another episode next Sunday.